Jesus grateful today. But the context of that song didn't find the prodigal in the best of ways, but in a pigsty. And your word says that he came to himself and he returned to the Father and you were watching and you were waiting with love on our worst day. You're watching and you're waiting on our best day. You're watching and you're waiting. And your love is true and sure because that's who you are. So I pray for some people in this, in this room and watching online today to find the rest for their soul that they need. Because this world, it just kind of gets on you. And it can, uh, it can get all over you. Sometimes it's good feel the Father's embrace once again, just like these little babies screaming around the edges of the room. Father, hold us all just like that. And if we need to scream, let us scream. But let us find you there for who you are. And if you agree with that prayer, join me in saying amen. You guys have a seat right where you are. Thank you guys. We are going to start a new series today on the 23rd Psalm. And so this is what I would like us to do to begin it. I know I just told you to have a seat, but now I'm going to say, Simon says stand. And we're going to read this together corporately, okay? So in honor of the Word of God, it should show up on the screen. And this is, uh, Brock said it's your homework assignment for this series, is to memorize this. So, so we'll stop putting it on the screen about halfway through the series, not today. We'll give it to you today. So, if you believe these words to be true, say them with me. The, the word of the Lord from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God bless the reading of your word. Awaken us to it um, in ways that maybe we've never looked at it before. Father, my, my confession to you is that, that, that preaching uh, really familiar passages of Scripture, um, like this one that a lot of us have heard since our childhood, um, and seeing it with fresh eyes, is only, it only happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so my confidence is not in me today or my ability to decipher anything of you. But my confidence is in your Holy Spirit 
to guide us into truth today. So in the few moments we have this morning, over the very first verse of this psalm, show us something maybe we haven't thought of before. May it change the way we see you. Amen. Okay, you can sit back down and I promise that I don't promise anything about whether you'll stand or sit. Guys, these, these words, um, we do know this. They were written by David. You know why I know that? Because it says a psalm of David. The questions are going to get more complicated. Okay, David wrote this. Scholars have differing opinions, though, on when he might have written it. You know, David's, David's story is a story. I, th- I think we can all relate to him at some point in his story. Hopefully not every point of his story. Um, but some scholars point to verse 4 when it mentions walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And they surmise that maybe David wrote this towards the end of his life. You know, when he was, like the curtain was about to fall. Like he had been through all the wars, he'd done all the stuff, and they think it was at the end. Other scholars think it might have been kind of in the middle of his kingdom reign where his son Absalom had risen up a rebellion against him. And his enemies were everywhere, and he was kind of running for his life. And they, they, uh, they point at, at verse 5 where it says, you prepared for me a table in the presence of my enemies. Because there's stories in 1 Samuel that talk about people showing David great kindness during that season, even though he was under attack. Um, others, and I think I would fall into this, you know, not my scholarly opinion, which you care nothing about, um, but I, I agree with some other folks that think he might have written this as a teenage boy. Maybe in the middle of the night, in the hillside, in Bethlehem, watching his father's sheep. Seems like a logical time to write a song about shepherds and sheep. But regardless of whether it was an old man about to die or a king in the midst of turmoil in his kingdom, or a wide-eyed teenage boy that was just doing the job he was doing because all his older brothers maybe passed it down to him. Like, maybe it was a rite of passage. No matter when he wrote it, the truths are still true. Um, and they, they can change the way we see God. Just like Brock was talking about earlier. Um, Some of us, and I'll talk about this here in a second. I'll try not to get ahead of myself. This is what we're going to look at today. And we're only going to look at the first verse. And really, I'll mention the second part of the first verse, but pretty much the first verse, and we're going to tie it to some other words of Jesus where he kind of talked about himself and maybe one of the prophets. Um, But in this, this passage, Psalm 23, six verses, you're going to see some truths that will never change. The identity of the shepherd. You're going to see who the shepherd is. You're going to see the intentions of the shepherd. His intentions for you and everyone that calls Jesus Lord. And you'll see truths about the roles of the shepherd. I've never been a shepherd. Have you? Well, I guess technically... Randy, you're a shepherd, and I'm a shepherd. 
like Mr. T would say, I pity the fool that sits under me as a shepherd. But we, we do have a role, but we're not the good shepherd, are we? If you're an elder anywhere in the world at your church, yeah, these things apply to you in part, but there's only one good shepherd. And the roles defined here in these six verses apply to all shepherds in general, but particularly to the good shepherd. We're also going to see in these six verses the identity of the sheep. And we're going to see characteristics of the sheep and the privileges of having a good shepherd. So that's kind of where we're going to be going. And you're going to hear this in a lot of different ways because there's only six verses in this book and we're talking about them for like at least eight weeks. And so there's going to be a little overlap. But this morning, we're only going to look at that first verse from this psalm. And it says this, The Lord is my shepherd. Who is the shepherd? The Lord is the shepherd. There is no confusion. I have a strong inkling that we will spend much of our time over the course of this series just trying to simply never get over that fact. That saying the Lord is my shepherd means nothing else can be our shepherd. The Lord doesn't split time. He's not a part-time shepherd. He's not a shepherd on Sundays. And then you just go wander off the rest of the week. Now, now that's a way a lot of us have lived a lot of our lives. Can we be honest? But that, our propensity to wander doesn't change the goodness, the magnificence, the price that was paid to purchase you and me for God so that He so that you could call him your shepherd. See, obviously, when David's writing this, the Lord is my shepherd, when he's speaking in this psalm, he's not speaking as the shepherd, but as one of the sheep. Now, David was a shepherd. So he, he had the right to, to speak as the shepherd, but see, David knew the identity of his good shepherd, and he knew that the quality of the life of any sheep was only going to be as good as the man who owned it. I spent some time in Haiti. And there are sheep in Haiti. More goats than sheep. Is that true? If you're... I've seen some ugly sheep in Haiti. I mean, think about it. It's like 100 degrees most of the time. And I'll, you'll find out a lot of things you wish you never knew about sheep before I'm done today. One thing about sheep, though, is they never stop growing wool. Like, if you just leave a sheep alone, it's going to keep on growing. And, and, and you keep a sheep in the Haiti heat for its whole life, and you've got one ugly animal, okay? Mary had a little lamb. It didn't live in Haiti, okay? That's just my opinion. Maybe, maybe it did. David, what'd they call him? The, the, if there was a bumper sticker on David's car, what would it say? Come on. There you go. I'm so glad you're teaching our children. A man after God's own heart. He knew the heart of the Father. He knew 
that he didn't deserve it. He knew that it was God's pleasure to give it. I read a, a book that, that Brock ordered for us, and it's by, <clears throat> by a guy by the name of um, Philip Keller. And he's a shepherd. And so he wrote about the 23rd Psalm from the perspective of actually tending sheep. And I think most of us don't have this perspective. I mean, I grew up in, in the city. Um, this is kind of a city. I mean, I've got a yard. I've got a rabbit. I don't have any sheep. A couple little yip dogs. I know how to fill the kibble bowl when it's empty. But as far as caring for a sheep, I don't have that perspective. The closest thing I can come to is doing life with you guys. And, it's, and it can be kind of like herding cats. I, I, I get that. Um, but when you think of the word shepherd, I don't want you to think of me or Brock or Andy Coleman or Randy Henderson or Clark Reyes who serve as your elders. I, don't want, you to I want you to think only of the God that created everything. This is what he said Phil Keller, in his book, just a couple of excerpts. He says this, So if the Lord... Apologize for my voice, it's kind of going. So if the Lord is my shepherd, I should know something of His character and understand something of His ability. To meditate on this, I frequently go out at night to walk alone under the stars and remind myself of His majesty and His might. One of the things that captured my heart, take a break from the quote, the first time I went to Haiti and I saw the stars there, I looked up and I saw stars that, they're still, they're, they're there, but you can't see them from here. And there is something awe-inspiring when you think about how many there are. Keller says this, looking up at the star-studded sky, I remember that at least 250 million times 250 million such bodies, each larger than our sun, one of the smallest stars, have been scattered across the vast spaces of the universe by His hand. He measured the universe between His thumb and His pinky. This is the God who allows you to call Him your shepherd. He goes on to say, I recall that planet Earth, which is my temporary home for a few short years, is so minute a speck of matter and space that if it were possible to transport our most powerful telescope to our nearest neighbor's star and look back this way, the Earth could not be seen. It's that small. Yet the staggering fact remains that Christ, the creator of such an enormous universe of overwhelming magnitude designs to call himself my shepherd and invites me to consider myself his sheep, his special object of affection. Hmm. By the same sort of process, I stoop down and I pick up a handful of soil from my backyard or roadside and place it on a, 
under an electron microscope, and I'm astounded to discover it teems with billions upon billions of microorganisms. Many of them are so complex in their own peculiar cellular structure that even a fraction of their functions in the earth are not yet properly understood. This God sees everything from the biggest to the smallest, makes it all work together, and yet He calls you Beloved, the Lord is my shepherd. A lot of things want to be. A lot of things want to lead me around. But the Lord is my shepherd. What are the intentions of the shepherd? It's kind of what Brock talked about earlier when he was talking about the lady that, that he met who I kind of had a similar experience growing up. I don't... There were a lot of people, a lot of Sunday school teachers, a lot of, a lot of people that invested in me over the years. But I think Brock mentioned this. Did he say, if you're, if you're really going to get an accurate picture of God, you're going to have to unlearn some stuff? Let me, let me tell you a glimpse of my theological past, okay? Because this is the danger of reading the Bible out of context. Has anyone, don't raise your hand, ever been guilty of just picking a verse out of the Bible and just trying to let it stand alone and making that your life verse? What if, what if you picked this verse and all you knew was the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know what I heard growing up? Brock was amazed when I told him this this week. It's like, I, and what he was thinking was, how can you be so stupid? I'm thinking, it's not that hard. It comes pretty naturally. I used to read that because of the culture I grew up in, which was a bunch of thou shalt nots, a bunch of God wants you to do this, he says do this, don't do that. I used to read it, the Lord is my shepherd, and I, I don't really want it. Because he makes me lie down where I want, don't want to lie down. He makes me do things I don't want to do. He has rules that I don't want to follow. Guys, there are people in the world, a lot of them, that don't see this as a love letter. Because they misunderstand the intentions of the shepherd. I was one of those people. And it's, it's kind of embarrassing to say it out loud because all you have to do is read the next verse. How many times do we not read the next verse? It's, if the enemy can get you to take the Bible out of context and come up with the absolute 180 degree opposite intentions about God, he's got you right where he wants you. And I really think that's why so many people believe the Bible and they're so mad about it. It's not what this is about. The intentions of the shepherd. Mm. A better translation for the end of verse 1, in case you haven't heard it before, is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. I shall not lack anything. I, I shall not want for anything. Maybe it's... That was the way it was translated in the, K, in the King James Version. It's also the way it's translated in the ESV. Maybe it's just because they th thought fewer words were better, but I need some more context. 
The, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack for anything, does not mean the same thing to me that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because I really do want it. And we all should. Is it possible that even now, now that we know that, that maybe, maybe you, you never thought about it, but do we still just think that God is this overlord trying to keep us under his thumb, trying to make sure that we live by his rules, that we don't experience all the freedoms that the world has for us? Is there a, a possibility that on some level there are some things in your life that you haven't been willing to give over to the lordship? of the Good Shepherd. Guys, it's, gosh, it's not a one and done. It's, it's just looking at the truth of who He is, the magnitude of the price He paid. We're not even talking about Calvary here. We're not talking about the fact that He took every sin that you will ever commit upon Himself for the privilege of getting you getting me, calling us his sheep. So, so, so that being said, what are the, some of the roles or the intentions of the good shepherd that you guys have experienced in your own life? Well, how have you experienced Jesus as a shepherd? Realizing you might not know much about shepherding. Anybody, any thoughts? This is not a trick question. Anybody? Guides me. Yeah, guidance. Um, and, and not just the long-term plan. I mean, like, today we need His guidance. Like, for the next step we take, day by day, He leads us. He guides us. What else? Protection. Anybody scared of the dark? Because, because you got that answer right earlier, I'm going to allow you to be scared of the dark. Okay? I'm not going to make fun of you about monsters under the bed or anything like that. Mm. You know what shepherds are not? They're not scared of the dark. They spend most of, of the time they're working watching over, looking for enemies, looking for dangers. Mm. What, else, what else does he do for you as, as the good shepherd? find you because we wander away um, and we never we never know where we're ending up uh, Angie and I used to have a basset hound it was our first dog we had it out of wedlock it was all steeped in sin that dog was beautiful but it was not bright and it would put its nose down and start wandering and it wasn't a sheep. But if sheep are worse than that, there ain't no telling where sheep are going to end up. Because that thing would catch a scent and it would just go. And then it'd look up and think, oh well, and it would keep going. It would just keep going. He finds us. You know what else he does? He stands between you and your enemies. That's what the shepherd does. He's not this overlord. He sees something that's bad for you and he will lay himself down for you. That's what the shepherd does. You know what else he does sometimes? 
It'll give us a tail whooping when we need it. I don't like those. You don't like those. The discipline of the good shepherd is sometimes necessary. You know what else he does for us? He lets us recognize the sound of his voice. You ever been in the midst of your day, and it's not an audible thing, but as clearly as you can discern anything at all in your spirit, you know that's what God wants me to do. In the midst of all the other voices, you recognize His voice. Gosh, Jesus says He calls them, and they know Him, and they follow Him because they trust Him. If you have your Bibles, flip over to John chapter 10. And I'm not going to try to preach this passage because Jesus is already doing it. But I am going to read it to you. This is pretty familiar, and if you're going to tie anything to Psalm 23, I think you've got to start with this. John chapter 10, verse 1. And just let this sink in. This is how Jesus feels about you. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, but by the door, sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep who are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also. By the way, that's where you and I get to enter the story. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Is there any doubt who Jesus says that he is? I am the good shepherd. You can trust Him. Shortly after this, He literally laid down His life. And He, by the power of His own Spirit, rose from the dead. And that's why we're gathered together here every week. That's 
the reality of being a part of his, of his flock. We also find in this passage the identity of the sheep. Um, the sheep is us. This is us. The sheep. We are the sheep. Isaiah 53.6 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the Bible, we're not compared to lions. We're not compared to, to really like agile, fast animals. Not really smart animals. We're compared primarily to sheep. Um, I'm going to do something I've never done. I'm going to totally step on Brock's toes by doing bad jokes with Brock, my own addition, without him in here. Because I think you guys love this when he does it, and we'll see how you like it. These are all kind of sheep-related. Okay? See if you can get this. Because I think I found the source where he gets his jokes. Okay? What do you call a dancing sheep? A ballerina. Can't you hear Brock telling that joke? Who is the, a sheep's favorite singer? Brittany Shears. What do you call a sheep with no legs? A cloud. I'll finish with this one. Sorry, that was a, a sheep shot. So that's why he does it. It's to get the pity laugh in one clap. Characteristics of sheep, guys. Sheep get a bad rap in the Bible, okay? And for some good reasons. They do wander off. They're often clueless. They've been known to follow one another off of cliffs, one after another. They're so defenseless, they've been known to be cornered by squirrels. I can't prove any of that. But somebody wrote it on the internet. And I read it in all kinds of places. But see, here are some other things that, that you might not know about sheep. Um, they have rectangular pupils. You know what that means? That means that they can see almost 360 degrees. They can, that's not a bad thing, right? That would be kind of cool. Hmm. You know one pound of wool can make up to 10 miles of yarn? I didn't even know yarn was made from wool. <laughs> Had no idea. There are some sheep called cast sheep that get so fat, if they fall over, they can't get back up. That sounds like me on Tuesday. It's just like if I, my back just goes, like watch Kevin Wiley try to get up when he's playing the drums in a few minutes. Cast sheep. But here's the deal. I think it's time for us to give sheep a break. Because you know who sheep are? Biblically, they are the people that Jesus died for. 
For some reason, Jesus is really fond of them. And there's going to be a day when He separates sheep from goats and you don't want to be on the goat's side. See, I, I like what Pastor Joe Thorne from a church in St. Charles, Illinois quoted. He quoted this from an old-time Puritan named Thomas Watson. Man, a good, solid name. Thomas Watson. He said this about sheep. Sheep are not harmful creatures. Rather harmless, peaceful. Sheep are meek creatures who know their place and willingly submit. Sheep look for clean, green pastures. Every part of a sheep is useful for something. And hear this. Jesus laid down His life for the sheep. And so, if you ever go to a church where a pastor stands up and acts like he's the shepherd and starts beating you with a rod, figuratively, hope not literally, and uses the word sheep as a demeaning word, there is no greater pursuit in your life than to be a sheep of the Good Shepherd. None. One verse. If you still aren't totally bought in on the sheep train, go to the book of Revelation. Worthy is the Lamb. What's a lamb? It's a little sheep. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world to purchase people for God. Worthy to receive honor and glory and power and dominion. That's who your shepherd is. Don't let anyone look down on you for being a sheep. Let's pray together. Father, um, I'm just reminded as I close of your words to to Peter. When Peter had made a, a bunch of mistakes, I feel like I've made a bunch of mistakes. I'm pretty sure there are other people in this room that feel like they've probably made a bunch of mistakes. But when Peter ran back to the Father, happened to be by a campfire, Jesus simply said, He didn't say, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that again? Aren't you ashamed of yourself? He didn't say any of that. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I do. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And what did he tell him to do? Feed my sheep. Take care of my flock. The Lord is my shepherd. And I don't lack anything. Help help us to live like that. Trusting in the goodness of the shepherd. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name.